Johnny was a man that had a lot of troubles. He had troubles with uh, the boss at work, wouldn't get along in very well. He had troubles with sickness, his wife was very sick. He had financial problems because of medical bills. But perhaps worse than all this was the feeling of loneliness. Oh, he loved his wife and he loved his fellow Christians and so forth, but it seems like that no one really there to understand, no one really there to help him. Well, he was visiting with a fellow Christian and this guy knew him quite well and noticed that he was seemed to have some depression. So they talked for a while and his friend began to tell him about what he was facing, about all of his troubles, about all the things that he was going through. Well, this helped uh, Johnny to realize, well, maybe there are some who understand. Maybe there are people who know what I am going through and are there to help me. Galatians 6 and verse 2 tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. But sometimes we find that uh, we don't know really what to say or what to do when someone else is hurting. When someone loses a loved one, we know that it hurts, but uh, what do we say? What do we do? Sometimes words just fail us. But in all of this, we have someone who can sympathize with us. It's good to have brothers and sisters in Christ, loved ones who can sympathize with us, but there are limitations to what they can do. But we do have someone who can sympathize with us as children of God, that being Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hebrews chapter 4, about verse 15 says, We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast to our confession. Notice it says we have, present tense. Not that we will have or we've had in the past, but we have. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Notice there that Jesus is the man. We have a mediator, Jesus the man. Now, I'm not sure I understand all of that. I know I don't. But it seems as though when Jesus came to this earth that he kept his deity, that in somehow and to some degree, while he is our high priest and so forth in heaven, he still hangs on to some of his humanity because it says the man, Christ Jesus. So as we think about the idea that we have this today, we're going to notice uh, some things that Jesus can do, can sympathize with us. Noted there in Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verse 15 that we have a high priest. And verse 16 says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. We would say we do have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Because he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So let's notice some of the areas in which Jesus can sympathize, can help us in the things that we face. Jesus can sympathize with us, can be our friend when we are rejected. It hurts when we are rejected, when people don't uh, do the things that accept, we expect them to. They don't seem to accept us for who we are and, and what we're trying to do. We 
sometimes become very discouraged. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 11 says, Jesus came to his own and they received him not. Jesus left heaven. He came. He was born of a Jew. He came to the Jews to be their savior. You would expect them to receive him. Because he came in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians 4 and verse 4. All things were right. The Jews were expecting the Savior to come, but they were expecting a different type of Savior. They were expecting seemingly uh, someone to come in and to deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus had a far different mission. He came to his own and they did not receive him. So Jesus knows what it's like when we are rejected. Maybe we try to talk to someone about uh, religious matters. We invite them to church or whatever, and they just are not interested. Or things, whatever it might be. And sometimes it hurts. It hurts to be rejected. And perhaps this is one of the reasons, uh, the fear of that is the reason that sometimes we are more timid than we should be in talking about religious things. But we need to realize that Jesus can sympathize with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Perhaps this has happened to you, but it's happened to me a number of times. Maybe I'm a little more sensitive than I should be. But it seems that those sometimes, that those you help the most, those that you really maybe sacrifice to try to do something for them, that something will come up and... Uh, they seem to turn against you and be almost worse to you than an enemy. I don't understand that, but I guess I should because Jesus, he lived a perfect life, which certainly none of us do, but he lived a perfect life and he was betrayed. We're familiar with the story of how Judas led the people to him and he was arrested there in the garden and Judas betrayed him with a kiss and they arrested him, and this led to the execution, uh, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. We think about how, how awful that was for one of his chosen disciples. You know, Jesus had chose the, the twelve. Judas was one of the twelve. He gave them miraculous powers, and he's, he was with them almost on a daily basis, teaching them, and yet one betrayed him. But Mark chapter 14 and verse 50 says that when he was arrested in the garden, that they all fled. Not just Judas, but they all fled. It seems that John had come back, because he seemed to be with Jesus when he was there, and Peter also came back, but you recall what Peter did. He was fearful, and three times when he was asked if he knew Jesus, he said, no, I don't know the man. The third time, even cursing and saying, I don't know the man. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was rejected. Sometimes we may feel betrayed by others. We may feel rejected. But Jesus understands that, and he can help us. Jesus knows what it's like to be afraid. Most of us do know what it's like to be afraid. Back when I was a child, you may have been like me, you know, there was a boogeyman under the bed, and there was a monster outside in the dark, and I'm still afraid of the dark to some degree. I go outside and walking through and begin to think about all these horrible, 
horror monster movies I've seen. And I think about, well, there's one of those, you know, uh, aliens behind that tree over there and all this, that, and the other. Well, there's more to the truth to that than I'd like to admit, I guess. But we all fear uh, various things. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus was fearful. In uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 7, it talks about his, his godly fear. But there, Jesus knew what was going to happen the next day, knew what was going to happen that night and the following days, what was going to happen to him. And he prayed earnestly, being in agony, it said. Prayed so, so earnestly that uh, his sweat fell down the ground like great drops of blood. He knows what it's like to be afraid. There are certain things that we are afraid of, maybe no longer darkness as much as there used to be, no longer about monsters under the bed or what's in the closet, but there are things that fear bring fear to us sometimes, fear of the unknown. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Or there are certain words that have to do with certain types of, of sickness. Just the word itself, you know, brings fear to us. But Jesus often told his disciples do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He said in the last verse of uh, the book of Matthew, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Betrayed, rejected, fearful. Knows what it's like to lose a loved one. When we go to the cemetery, with make that final trip and and leave someone there, it's, it's very difficult. Very difficult, especially if that one is a, is a dear loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Peter, James, and John seem to have been Jesus' closest friends. John being the closest, John refers to himself often as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But Jesus also had other friends. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were among them. And you recall the story in John chapter 11 how that Lazarus was sick and they sent for Jesus. But Jesus delayed. And by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead four days and he was buried. And both of the sisters said on different occasions, Lord, if you had been here, you could have healed him. They went to the tomb and they were crying there. In John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Jesus wept over Jerusalem on one occasion. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets, how often would I have gathered together like a chicken gathers her brood under his wings, but you would not. But here he's crying, Jesus wept. I believe it was last year at maybe one of the lectureships somewhere I was attending at least, I heard a thought, and I'd like to share that with you, and it's just a thought. Take it if it's worth something. If not, that's okay too. But this man suggested about why Jesus was crying. Where was Lazarus at when been dead four days? His body was in the tomb, and they said, well, by this time he's stinking if we roll the door away. But where was Lazarus really at? Well, in John chapter, or Luke chapter 16, rather, 
there's a story of another man named Lazarus, the rich man in Lazarus. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I wonder if Mary and Martha's brother, was he not also carried to Abraham's bosom? Well, the man suggested this may have been the reason that Jesus was crying, because he was going to call Lazarus back. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't go into detail and show, tell all of, all of that why he cried. It may have just been because other people was try, crying. But if you were in paradise, do you think you would want to come back here? Do you think you would? Oh, we might want to come back and see our loved ones and tell them how wonderful it was. You know, but of all the people raised in the Bible, we have not one word of what it was like there, what they saw, what they heard. Paul, when he was taken to the third heaven, uh, he heard things that were not lawful for him to speak. So he knew, I guess, but he didn't seem to tell anyone. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to be in physical need. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. And Jesus was the creator of all things. Tells us that in three different passages. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. But when we think about Jesus in physical need... Perhaps you know of people in, in physical need. I saw something on TV oh, a couple of weeks ago about these people who were living in a garbage dump. And they would wait for someone to bring a truckload of garbage, trash in, and they would run and try to be the first ones there to go through it and maybe find something to eat or something maybe they could wear, or maybe something they could trade. I saw one man, he was picked up, looked like part of a sandwich or something, all excited to be able to finish it off. Anyone here worried about going to the garbage dump for lunch today? We are so blessed. But Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be in want. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, Though he was rich in heaven, he became poor for our sakes, that we might become rich. We're rich now, spiritually, and to a great degree, more than 90, 95% of the world, we are rich from physical standpoint, we are so, so blessed. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. Knows how to get along and won't. He knows how to have troubles. And he knows how to get along with plenty. He says, I've learned how to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8 says, For he brought nothing into this world, and it sure will take nothing out. Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows what it's like to suffer. 
You know, suffering comes in many forms. Some people suffer greatly. There was a dear sweet lady lived out in Nebraska. She had some 21 different back surgeries. She was in pain almost all the time, but she was a faithful Christian. Couldn't come to church most of the time, so we would go out and have a service with her on Sunday afternoon. And one of the songs that became our favorite, hers and mine, was Farther Alone. We'll know all about it. And we would talk sometimes about why she was hurting so much and told her didn't really know that perhaps it was so she could be an example for us. First Peter 2.21 says that Jesus suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered and became the author of the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. As we mentioned this morning in Bible class in Isaiah 53, talking about when God will see the travail of his soul, his suffering, he would be satisfied. Jesus wants only wants best for us. Sometimes, you know, we try to tell our our kids or our grandkids or people that uh, what they should do. And uh, they may say, well, that's just because what you think and what you want. Well, most of us, we try to tell them that because we, we think through maybe a wisdom we've been around the block more times than they have, that maybe what we can tell them will help spare them some problems. You know, all of Jesus' teaching, really all of the Bible, all of the things that the Bible tells us that we are to avoid is because they're harmful to us in some way. And all the things that we're told to do is because it's good for us. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Why does God want us to be a good Christian? Well, to bring him honor and glory but because it's good for us. He loves us not when we were good, but when we were ungodly. Romans 5. Jesus died for the ungodly. So he wants what's best for us. He gives us this life to prepare for the next. We've been here, seems like a short time, I heard one lady say back when I was younger, I never expected to get old so quickly. I agree with that. I'm not as old as I probably, hopefully will be one day, but I never expected to be this old. Sharon and I celebrated our 49th wedding anniversary yesterday. 49 years. But... It's short compared to eternity. Use this life preparing for the next. We can truly be blessed. As we think about what God has done for us, he loves us so much that he gave Jesus. That if we believe in him, we'll not perish. But that belief, that faith is more than just a mental thing. It's a belief that will lead us to do what he says. 
We need to be like young Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We need to realize that when we sin, it hurts God. Every sin is against God. It may be against other people, maybe against ourselves, but all sin is against God. And we need to turn away from that sins because it's harmful to us. It's harmful to others. It's against God. Then we need to be willing to acknowledge that we believe in Jesus. Sweetest name on mortal tongue we sing. Jesus, blessed Jesus. And then be buried with Christ in baptism because it was in his death that he shed his blood. Romans 6, we are baptized into his death. And then as we come up from the waters of baptism, we are a new creation. We have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. And now we have Jesus as our high priest who can sympathize with us. We're going to sing the song, Christ Receive a Sinful Men, I believe it was. And he will receive you if you need to come to him in a public way. We would love to assist you. Stand as we sing.